Father in heaven, as we take a moment to talk about Jesus, allow him through his spirit to be the one speaking through this man of clay. For this we ask in his name, let us all say amen. I would like us to appreciate what politicians do when they've been caught in something unethical, if not illegal. Some politicians say, I've done nothing wrong. Have you heard that statement before? And then there is a small subset of politicians that would say, I take full responsibility. Have you heard that before? The funny thing is, after they have said that, they do nothing else. You see no behavior consistent with taking responsibility. We had a water crisis in Flint, and I've heard politicians say, I take responsibility, but then nothing else after that. There's a strange parallel about Christmas. We will see it in stores. We will hear it on the radio or by the talking heads on television. He is the reason for the season. We hear that. But that's about it. That's about it. Today, I trust that we will find something meaningful from this word that God has placed on my heart. Man and Savior from the book of Matthew, his gospel about the birth of Christ. Have you ever heard of the gospel of the IRS? Internal Revenue Service? Well, you may not know or you may have forgotten that the person who wrote the Gospel of Matthew was a tax collector. And I can imagine if the IRS had written Matthew chapter 2, they would have written it something like this. Once there was an adult male named Joseph, a self-employed carpenter with two dependents, Mary, who was an unemployed housekeeper, and a minor son named Jesus. Jesus was born six days before December ended, and this provided Joseph with a full deduction for the entire year. Jesus was born in Bethlehem while Joseph and Mary were on a business-related trip which could not be deducted. The family received considerable assets of gold, frankincense, and myrrh while in Bethlehem. And a ruling has not yet been made on whether this 
increase in net worth should be reported as income on line 12, page 2. That's how the IRS may have written Matthew. For those caught up with Christmas, being a time of giving and receiving gifts, or for those not too familiar with the events or significance surrounding the birth of Christ, let me today inform some and remind others that Matthew 2 narrates the political threat that Jesus created for Herod. Like Pharaoh, you remember him, who was afraid that he would lose his throne to a Hebrew deliverer and sought to kill all Hebrew male babies, Herod is afraid that this baby boy pronounced at birth king of the Jews would be a threat to his throne. He then pretended that he wanted to know the baby's whereabouts so that he could bring him gifts in acts of worship. When in fact, all Herod wanted was to kill the baby Jesus and eliminate the threat to his throne. It is ironic that wise men now you notice I did not say three wise men. Do you know why? Because the Bible doesn't say that. We assume there were three because there were three gifts. The Bible only says wise men. That's how tradition gets into the Bible. So we have song, we three kings of Orient are. And we have song about the three wise men. As a boy in the school plays, there were always three wise men. The Bible just said wise men, but that's neither here nor there. It is ironic that these Gentile astronomers were seeking the baby, Jesus, to worship him. But the Jewish Herod was seeking Jesus to kill him. It is sad but true. Sometimes the ungodly allow themselves to be guided by godly principles, while the so-called godly allow themselves to be influenced by satanic forces. Let us remember that when we have an entanglement, a disagreement, a contention with a sister or a brother, that the real enemy is not that person. It's Satan. Many may fall victim 
to the devils whose diabolic work is to sow seeds of dissension in order to bring about chaos and destruction. Oh, Herod was misguided indeed. He had no idea that Jesus had no interest in his earthly throne. For Jesus was already born king. Now Matthew said, the wise men came seeking the baby Jesus born king. That's a strange statement. Because nowhere in history has any baby been born king. You may be born here, H-E-I-R, to the throne, but you never born king. Jesus is the only baby that was born king. And for those who may be thinking as to what Herod had in mind, let me remind you, Herod's only concern was his throne. Matthew does not go into detail as per the reason Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem. Luke tells us, but not Matthew. And Luke says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, that is Joseph, was of the house of the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And verse 6 says, And so it was, that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Luke tells us, in other words, that Matthew simply was being obedient after Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that people should be taxed. And back then, to be taxed, you had to be in the territory from where you're from. And so he was simply, this is in Matthew's head, and I really want us to appreciate what I'm going to say next. In Matthew's head, Joseph and Mary were going to be taxed. However, this Matthew, who emphasized the geography of this prophecy, is really quoting from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Do you want to know what Micah says? I'll tell you, even if you don't want to know. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee 
shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Significantly, what it says to me is that the God I serve is the only person who can predict with surgical precision what will occur thousands of years before it happens. Micah tells us, and if you've ever been to Israel, I've been there a number of times, Bethlehem is indeed a small place. And before the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem had no prominence. And Micah writing tells us thousands of years before Matthew's on the scene that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. I don't know about you, but that's a God I can believe in. That's a God I can depend upon. People who say they don't believe in God need to appreciate that anybody who can tell you with certainty what's going to happen thousands of years before it happens has to be God. That's why I don't believe in psychics. Because psychics can't even tell you how they're going to get their meal tomorrow. But they want to tell you your fortune for a fee. Notice the wise men brought gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In the Old Testament, gold symbolizes kingship. You will remember Daniel chapter 2? Elder Perry, I heard you teaching it to the kids. The head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar made this image. And the, what did the Bible say? And you, it represented what? You, the king. He didn't want to hear the rest of the story. Because it says after you, there will be some other kingdoms. Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. He didn't want to hear that. He was just concerned about the gold. And so Nebuchadnezzar decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a statue of pure gold. So that my kingdom will last forever. So gold symbolized king. The presence of gold by the wise men simply says to us that this baby Jesus is different from all other babies. Jesus is king. That's why I love that old Negro spiritual. Right on, King Jesus. No man going to hinder me. And here we are. Christmas. In cold Michigan. Warm Caribbean. Cold Atlanta. Cold Tennessee. Cold California. And folks say they don't believe in climate change, wherever we may be, I believe that we've lost the meaning of Christmas. Think about it this way. 
The first thing that Matthew wants us to know is that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, is one of restoration and a promise kept. That's the first of three points I'm going to make today. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, is one of restoration and a promise kept. Did I say that before? Let me say it again. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, is one of restoration and a promise kept. Matthew 1, 22 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. A promise kept. Sin brings separation and alienation. Jesus brings restoration. From his birth, Jesus is God's son, the Messiah, who ushers in redemption and restoration of God's people. Matthew chapter 2. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him his gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here we are at Christmas, And instead of giving gifts to Jesus, we're looking for people to give us gifts. Something is wrong with this picture. That while we know he was not born on the 25th of December, it should be a time when we can appreciate that the birth of Jesus is about restoration and a promise kept. For he shall save his people from their sins. I don't know about you. But as far as I've been observing and I've experienced, Christmas is about receiving gifts. It's about eating and drinking. It's about having a good time. You may pray before the meal, but that's as far as it will go. But we need to remember that Matthew is saying to us that the reason gifts were brought to Jesus is because Jesus is the result of a promise kept. Humanly speaking, we make promises that we can't keep or don't keep. It is not unusual 
for children and adults to say, I promise. Yet, in words and actions, we often let down those to whom we have made promises. We often promise more than we can deliver. Companies promise workers that they don't deliver. Universities promise students what they can't deliver. Parents promise children what they can't deliver, and children promise parents what they fail to deliver. Spouses make promises to each other, but fail to deliver, and homes are wrecked. But in a world deluged by the flood of broken promises by man, there is a God who not only makes promises, but he keeps them. Here is how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians Verse 1, verse 18, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, it has always been yes, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So the birth of Jesus is a promise kept. While gold represents his royalty, frankincense predicts or represents his deity. The wise men bringing frankincense is making a declarative statement. Emmanuel, God with us. I wonder just how many children coming from Christian homes understand by the models they see that Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. As opposed to the excitement of opening their gifts. Through commercialism, the secular world has dwarfed the true meaning of Christmas. When Adam and Eve messed up, they thought that it was all over. They had to bear the agony of living through the pain of one son taking the life of another son. But God, in his love and mercy, had promised them a deliverer. And Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 2. You remember Genesis 3.15. God says, hey, Satan... You're going to bruise his heel, his heel, but you're going to get your head crushed in the meantime. That's the promise. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, 
is one of restoration and a promise kept. That means at Christmas time, we need to be thinking of how Jesus came to restore us. As opposed to be fixating on gifts and what we'll be eating. Matthew traces the, the genealogy of Jesus. And here is what he says. And brings me to the second point. It says, Matthew 1, 5 says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So the birth of Jesus is not only one of restoration and a promise kept, but the birth of Jesus isn't just a Jewish thing. Gentiles are an integral part in God's plan of redemption. Two names in Matthew's genealogy. Rahab, and we, the Bible refers to her as Rahab the harlot or the prostitute. And Ruth, who was not Jewish. And Matthew carefully gives us insight that when we think of Christmas, we are included. Ruth and Boaz. In a world where exclusivity is the norm, the birth of Jesus ought to make a difference. You remember the film, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? In 1967, this movie challenged audiences to examine their own stereotypes. Breaking boundaries in daring ways for its, for its time. This movie depicts a young white woman bringing back her black fiance home for dinner. The plot involves the girl's parents struggling to understand what was socially unacceptable in that era and wondering about extending welcome to this young man. For a first century Jewish audience, get the picture. The idea of non-Jewish man, the wise man, being the first to worship Israel's Messiah provided a significant struggle. You could imagine, God, do you know what you're doing? That you would have three astronomers, men who study the stars, guided by the stars, depend upon the stars. They had no affinity with anything religious and you allow them to see Jesus first before the Jewish people? 
God is making a statement that the birth of Jesus is one of inclusiveness. It is not a Jewish thing. Gentiles are included in God's redemption plan. And when they were coming to the house, as the text says, they bow down and worship him. This says that the birth of Jesus, Christmas, is about worship. It's about restoration, a promise being kept. It's about inclusivity, that Gentiles are an integral part of God's redemption plan. And it's about worship. Now, I want us to think for a moment. Today is what day? What date, rather? The 24th. What would the world be celebrating tomorrow? Christmas. Now, do you honestly think, listen to my third point, the birth of Jesus is about worship. Do you think a lot of worshiping would be going on tomorrow in those homes? Or would it be about, what did you get me for Christmas? I want to see my gift. Matthew, more than the other gospel writers, portrays various characters worshiping Jesus in his story. In fact, Jesus is portrayed as an object of worship. The word proskine is used, which means knelt or kneeling. That they came, and that word is used about 10 times. More than all three other gospel writers put together. In other words, Matthew was emphasizing that the birth of Jesus is about worship. What do we emphasize in our world? Christmas is about a time of merriment. It's a, a time of getting and receiving gifts. Jesus, born king of the Jews. Now, this time of the year called Christmas it's a time of both celebration and separation. Listen to me carefully. At no other time of the year is the Christian to be more separated than this time. And you may say, why? It's a time of celebration, but for the Christian, it's a time of separation. You see, the world celebrates a season. Christians celebrate a savior. So we are to separate from the world in that it is not just about a season, it's about a savior.
a savior that was willing to die for men. If we needed more information, God would have sent a teacher. He sent a savior. If we needed more technology, God would have sent a scientist. He sent a savior. If we needed more knowledge, God would have sent a philosopher. He sent a savior. If we needed more money, God would have sent a philanthropist. He sent a savior. If we needed more merriment, God would have sent an entertainer. He sent a savior. What we needed was salvation to be saved from our sins, and so he sent Jesus. So what does Christmas mean to you? Well, I believe that God has everything he desires. He's God. But what is the one thing God does not have that he craves for? Your heart and my heart. So when I'm thinking of a gift that I can give, the best gift a person can give to God is one's heart. Here we are in this world of celebration where we need not be celebrating a season, but we should be celebrating a savior. I'm reminded of these two women. I don't know why it always has to be women. They went to this high-end, exclusive restaurant, and they were having a very expensive meal. And the lady waiting on them recognized it must have been a wonderful occasion something to celebrate. And so she joyfully invited herself to ask a question. She said, are you guys celebrating something? And the lady, one lady said, yes, we're celebrating my son's birthday. And the lady said, but why is he not here? And the mother said, you don't expect me to bring a child here. He will ruin everything. Is it possible that sometimes we don't bring Jesus along because we feel he would ruin everything? We're celebrating him, but he is absent. You get the point? He will ruin everything. So let us have this Christmas party. This is a time of the year when companies have Christmas parties. I've been to some. And I, what I can remember is that sometimes there's a whole lot of drinking, carousing, cursing. And I can tell you the last person they want at the Christmas party is Jesus because he will ruin everything. 
He would ruin everything. What does Christmas mean to you? Matthew tells us that the birth of Jesus is a time of restoration and a promise kept. His birth says the world is in trouble and I'm going to save it. What does Christmas mean to you? Are you excluding people? Ruth and Rahab are in the genealogy of Jesus. The birth of Jesus talks about inclusivity. It is not about casting people out. So if you feel you don't belong, Matthew says you belong. Last but not least, Matthew says the birth about Jesus is about worship. They came, proskine, and they knelt, and they bowed, and they worshiped. I was thinking about this as to how we celebrate birthdays. Do you know it really doesn't make sense to be giving people gifts on their birthdays? That sounds radical, doesn't it? I think the person who's celebrating the birthday should be giving gifts to his parents or his family members who have helped to nurture him and to bring him along. What did he do to be born? Nothing. So the idea that we will use Christmas because gifts were given to Jesus, so we must have gifts ourselves. These wise men were simply saying, he is the savior of the world, and all we can do is bring him some gold, bring him some frankincense, God and man, he is king, frankincense, we burn incense when we're invoking God's spirit. But last but not least, myrrh. In Bible times, myrrh was used to embalm the dead. Let me pause for a moment. When these wise men directed by the Holy Spirit came, they were pointing not only to him being king, but also to his death and to his resurrection. Because he's going to be king of kings and lords of lords. But in order to save us, he had to die. And so the myrrh was given because 33 and a half years later, this Jesus who came into the world on that night, hung upon a cross, and the ladies came to the tomb to do what? Embalm him. And the angel said, for he is risen. So what does Christmas mean to you? It should be about the fact God restores us, 
and he redeems us because he had to die. The myrrh was to tell us that this Jesus would willingly give his life so that you and I can live. I'm trusting today that somebody would have a different approach to Christmas. Stop being upset because you didn't get a gift under the tree. Stop beating up on yourself because you didn't have the money to get a gift. Think of the anxiety and the tremendous pressure people under to take out that thing called a credit card. In other words, they don't have the money, but they're buying the gifts so they can maintain a sense of Christmas. Well, if you want to maintain a sense of Christmas, bring Jesus to the party. He's not going to ruin it. Let Jesus restore, recognize that Gentiles are an integral part of the Messiah and worship, kneel before him. Because Matthew 2 tells us this is what the wise men did. Christmas is not a time just for having fun. It's not a time for just saying he's a reason for the season and nothing else. It's a time for restoration. It's a time for inclusivity. It's a time for worship. Bring him to the party. He's not going to ruin it. Father in heaven, we thank you today that Matthew took the time to tell us really the true meaning of Christmas. We thank you that while Matthew moved to Bethlehem because of Caesar Augustus' decree about being taxed, that while Joseph didn't know that's what he was doing, yet Micah tells us that thousands of years before, it was predicted that in Bethlehem, the Savior of the world would be born. That's a God I can believe in. That's a God I can trust. But most of all, I thank God for his faithfulness to keep his promise to me that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. May this be my Christmas. In Jesus' name, let the saints all say, Amen.